in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Brian Fry, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Dustin Melbardis. How you doing, bud? Good evening. Feeling good to be sitting down in the AC. I uh, built a dam today. Got in the water, started stacking rocks and mortar, built a dam. Uh, finally able to relax and just chat some movies. Right on, man. We're also welcoming in for the first time our guest host, Coulter Gidley. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you, gentlemen? Awesome. Can't complain. So we've got a we've got a great movie for you guys today. This is an action classic. But let's do a little bit of warm up first. So today's movie has a lethal duo. Uh, if you want action, excitement, and a double feature, what two movies are you picking to amp you up, Dustin? I will start with a Jet Li film, Kiss of the Dragon, uh, which was mm-hmm. uh, is about twenty two years old, maybe twenty three years old. Chinese policeman in France uncovering some shady stuff and kung fu ensues it's a great one and then i'll follow it up with the matrix reloaded uh the matrix the first one is a is a better movie but if we're talking about like action and excitement they really ramp it up in the second one they're trying to resolve too much in the third one so i think reloaded is is right where we get that action peak all right, I'm going to butcher this dude's name, but Kiss the Dragon's the one with Checky Caro, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, Checky Cario. I love that dude. I love that dude, I, too. He's, he's one of those, like, take-my-money actors, bad guy, good guy, whatever. Yeah, and in fact, what, just one month ago, we did uh, The Patriot uh, with Checky Cario right. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that dude rules. If I die, at least I will die well dressed. <laughs> That's right. He's great in that movie. He's excellent yeah. in that and movie. He's also great in Kiss of the Dragon, though he is more the boss. He's got two heavies as his henchmen and then uh, several other. Well, he's usually, he, I think the first movie I ever saw him in, he was the bad guy in the first Bad Boys movie. <laughs> I need to revisit that then. I forgot. So yeah, I mean, like he he kind of got his start with me as a bad guy. It wasn't until later that I started seeing him as a good guy and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, Coulter, man, what are your what's your action movie duo? Two movies that like amps me up that are like my go tos. Yeah. Well, definitely, actually, Lethal Weapon, the 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 film that's uh, under review tonight is actually definitely one of them. I like to go kind of old school. I, I went through a big um, years ago, a dirty Harry phase. Oh, cool. Yes. I, I really do love uh, the dirty Harry flicks. Um, so, if you had yeah. to pick one, what would it be? Of all of the dirty Harry movies? Um, probably the first one is definitely the best. It's absolutely the most iconic, you know? I mean, you can't go wrong with the first. The other ones get a little choppy towards the end. Um, the Deadpool is actually really great, too, though. I like the storyline for the Deadpool because I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one where it's all these dirty motorcycle cops and they're just kind of often. Um, I thought that was Magnum Force. Oh, you know, I'm yeah, 
It could that could be could yeah be the one with the dirt dirt Magnum Force is my favorite of the of the yeah, if you want to make it a quadruple yeah. feature or a quintuple quintuple right. feature you can do that too. all the dirty hairy films yeah. well it was um, really weird too because I bought a whole Blu-ray set and it's missing the final movie uh, it's missing the I don't know why they couldn't sneak in the the final dirty hairy movie. He did one where he's a detective in New Orleans, and man, it was like it's it's just that right kind of sinister, and I've always enjoyed that one too. Anyway, off topic once again. Uh, I uh, for me a lot if I'm here, <laughs> I kind of felt like I needed to blend it, and these are both movies that I go to quite a bit. One a little bit more than the other, but I went with Aliens and Predator. Oh. oh. You know, so, Predator should have been mine. That's so good. It should have been I, mine. I, I, was, I was trying to schmooze it. it. Pre- Predator definitely has some of the best one-liners by future oh, yeah. politicians. Yep. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, and Aliens. Aliens is just... I ain't got time to bleed. Bill Paxton. Like, I, yeah. I, I, love, I love it. Coulter, I'm curious. What is the last movie you saw? It does not have to be in theaters. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go with both. Um Last movie I just went and saw in theaters, actually really recent, like a couple weeks ago, I went and saw um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Survey it says? Was, it was pretty. Um, it, it was, I had a good time. I like that character. I don't really care too much about the story. I mean, you know, there wasn't a lot of places they could go with the final movie, so I wasn't too surprised. Sure. Um, but I just like that character and Harrison Ford plays him so well. Obviously he's got him dialed in has for since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good. And then I know this movie has been under review, but you told me I probably shouldn't listen to the episode. So I didn't, but I recently rewatched legend with Tom Cruise <laughs> and Mia Sarah and Tim Curry. <laughs> so, yeah, but I heard you guys kind yeah. of eviscerated that one. So I was like, Oh, I don't want to hear him bash one of my favorites. So I, I stayed yeah. away from it, but I was really <laughs> tempted. I was, I was tempted to listen to it because I was like, oh, if I listen to this, they really bash it. I'm going to want to defend it, and then it'll take over the rest of the show. So I was like, no, I'll stay away. We'll save it. We'll, we'll table well, Sometimes it. if you're listening to us bash it, then it really it, – it can – open up you don't have to agree with whoever's bashing it no no oh yeah okay so fine all that being said and i still love it something like that well yeah because you don't want to see flaws that you never noticed i I think in a movie that you like love i saw a really excellent meme uh earlier today it says some some of my friends are discussing why harrison ford is still playing indiana jones but honestly having an 80 year old professor not retire is the most accurate part of the franchise facts yeah yeah so <laughs> i loved that he likes that like, tenure <laughs> right uh dustin movies super troopers i came yes. came across the little swiping tiles on the tv the other day it's, well come on how do i say no and uh, after i finished it it gave me the little option for super troopers too i still refuse to watch it as you know i i'm oh dude watch it it's got it, it opens with one of the best. I'm pretty sure it's toward the opening, but it opens with one of the best lines. Uh, uh, all right. Let's see. Last movie I watched was called The Trench. It was a World War One movie starring Daniel Craig and a very young Killian Murphy. Or Cillian Murphy. I don't know. I, I still, think it's I, I always say it wrong. It doesn't. Killian. Killian Murphy. Um, anyway, it's Stark. Stark, it's one of those movies Russell would be like, of course, for I watch that. Yeah. Yeah, but it, uh, World War so, One really uh worked. You don't get a you don't get a happy World War One movie. <laughs> right, right. But I think I, I I've never seen a World War One movie I didn't like. 
All right, today, if you haven't guessed yet, we are doing 1987's Lethal Weapon. This movie was starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey. Its budget was about $15 million and it grossed about sixty-five. so that's a win. Yeah, big win. Uh, placed ninth in the box office. Uh, the movie placed ahead of it was Stakeout. The movie that placed behind it was The Witches of Eastwick. Number one movie that year was Three Men and a Baby. IMDb gives it a 7.6. Critics meter at Rotten Tomatoes give it an 80 and audience of 86. So this is pretty highly regarded. Uh, it got one Academy nod for best sound mixing, which, you know, is just the you know creme brulee of uh, <laughs> Oscars. You're definitely you're definitely getting a platform to do a speech for sound mixing. And it spawned the franchise that includes three sequels and a TV series. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Lethal Weapon. Uh, Dustin, have you seen this movie before? Yeah, I think this is in the category of movies that find their way on TV. So I'd seen it a couple of times ever completely start to finish probably not uh, and definitely not as an adult it's been since i was 16 or 17 that i watched it and the most recent lethal weapon i had seen was lethal weapon 4 i think that's 98 that that came out and then i came to think of it that because i'd never searched it out i actually haven't seen two and three uh, so th- it's been a while since i revisited it but uh yeah this is something that uh, as sort of genre defining, it is easy to recall back to Lethal Weapon. So, Dustin, let's d- uh, go a little deeper on this with me. Uh, what were you expecting coming into it this time? So, I had to pay closer attention. I had to listen a little more. I, I don't think I had ever seen the title screen, whereas Eric Clapton is involved with the music. So, I had to pay attention to certain things like that. As far as what this podcast has done for me in terms of paying attention to cinematography, whether it's lighting. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I, I wanted to have a critical eye on, and it's easy when you already kind of have this relationship. But the the expectation was I kind of already know these guys. Sure. And to see the movie again and see how they are pushed together is, uh, I've said this many times, it's harder to do friendship in movies than it is to do romance. And... Maybe it's just because this has such a pedigree to the series name, but uh, I I was it it was really cool to see that again uh, as an adult and especially after joining the show. And does it still hold up to you? Like, do you still have the same feelings about it or does watching it end to end for the first time change anything? I will say the thing that is hardest to deal with about being a host on this show is when the things you start to notice are things that you might consider detractors. If you hold a film in high regard already to be able to see, uh, Oh, Hmm. I'm thinking about this for the wrong reason. As far as the movie holding up, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's easy enough to transgress eras. I mean, what do we have? We've got drugs being shipped in the U S you know, that's, that's boilerplate. So it's the special things that we get that, you know, the, the relationship between Riggs and Murtaugh, that's what matters. The, the whole premise, I believe I've made the exact same criticism, we'll say, of Beverly Hills Cop, where it's like, okay, yeah, this is sort of a rinse, repeat. Oh, drugs are coming into the States. But we, it's, it's almost too easy. And I will say, because it happens all the time, you can kind of give it a pass. If you understand the bad guys are bad, that's kind of all you need to do. So... Uh, that that would be the only thing I would say maybe doesn't hold up is that this has become, as far as a premise for what the bad guys are, maybe a little tired 
but I'm reaching for that criticism. And, and all in all, the movie itself holds up great. Right on. All right. So, uh, uh, Coulter, tell me a little bit about uh, your relationship with Lethal Weapon. I have quite the relationship with Lethal Weapon. <laughs> um, as I, um, So, yeah, um, I don't really remember when I saw it. I know I had to have been a kid. Um, probably, you know, double digits, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and then kind of like didn't watch it for a long time. And then I got into my teenage years and like rediscovered it all over again. Cause I was a little bit more well-informed with movies and, um, you know, matured a little bit, I guess, you know, you could say. And so, um, just fell in love with it and the entire franchise, um, so I've I've got a I I I've lived with this movie a lot of years. So I really didn't have to watch it a whole lot. I still watched it, I think at least two times this week just to prep for this podcast. But um, a lot and, of worse ways to spend your time, right? And and didn't really need to, but still kind of wanted to because it had been a minute since I'd seen it. I usually will revisit portions of that franchise at least once a year, whether I go right to two or I'm craving three or you know Lethal Weapon four. You know, it just depends on how long it's been since I've seen each one of them. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I have a lot of love for this movie. I think it's it's kind of, for me, it's the um, it's really the template for the buddy cop movie. And, I, I mean, I love that because, you know, the buddy cop movie, it's it has they a lot of times they have moments of intensity and, and levity and stuff, but they also they're funny and just fun to watch. It's just it's popcorn movie. This has got to fall under the, I was probably too young to see it uncensored or rent it. So I would say this was probably a TNT special for me uh, yeah. back in the nineties. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think it shocked me at one point uh, that there was nudity in this movie because I think when I finally got to watch it uncensored, I was like, Oh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right away. You Interesting. A lot. You were like, "Oh, this is yeah. what I've been missing out on." All yeah, it kicked off right off the bat. I was like, "Yeah." Oh. So uh, I, I would, I would say that's one thing that that changed over time <laughs> for this mm-hmm. film. Um, I, I and you're just kind of like, "Whoa, what is this?" Yeah, I was like, "Wait a second, wait a second, wait." Those were not in this movie up until right now i still don't know how they have the guts to put movies like bad boys on tnt because it's literally every third word and the dubbing yeah. is just so bad mm-hmm. um it's like but what's anyway, the point? like i right. i went through a phase where i i almost wouldn't watch something if it was on tv because i knew the edits and and like the fact that it's cutting to commercials and it just is not a way to digest a movie, but sometimes you didn't have a choice, especially as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Nine, nine-year-old me didn't register, you know, uh, streaming didn't even, you know, come into play until nearly 10, 15 years later. So it was one right. of those things where it's like, now, now I completely agree with you. C- cable television is garbage to me now. Like, yeah just you know it's it's like getting smarties or something you're just like yeah that's that's gonna sit in the bottom of the candy bag for a while so uh hey the retro movie roundtable is not all (laughs) anti-smarties you're telling me you're gonna skip the snickers for the smarties 
That's hey man, I like talking. Smarties. I like Necco wafers. I like oh Hazard. Necco. Oh, that's what I should have said. <laughs> hey, no disrespect, Smarties. I should have said Necco. Necco <laughs> yeah, wafers. Necco is objectively one little, of the, the worst. little <laughs> strawberry things that somehow your grandmother has in a candy dish at, at her house. You know the ones that are wrapped like a strawberry. <laughs> I was else. guilty of liking the strawberry Necco wafers oh, yeah, like in my youth. <laughs> Um, so no, it, it didn't really change much until I watched the uncensored. And once I watched the, you know, full uncensored, I guess it changed a little bit for me, but not, not like, you know, not entirely. So, but yeah, I think it holds up. Um, I, I, I've got something to go into when we talk about wardrobe and what later, but no, I just, this is a, this is a strong, solid action movie. You know, it, it adds a little bit of comedy to it. I do if, if executed well and not, you know, throwing it in your face. I like a good action comedy as long as it's, it's, it's balanced appropriately. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is a good movie, but we're going to take a few minutes for an advertising break. And then, uh, I hope you've watched it because Dustin's going to ruin it for you. Plot summary coming up folks. Welcome to the all eighties movies podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. Now, just another warning. Spoilers lie ahead. Uh, Dustin is going to ruin Lethal Weapon with a nice lengthy uh, plot summary for you. Take it away, Dustin. We open on a lingerie-clad bombshell leaping to her death, and the ensuing investigation introduces us to family man Roger Murtaugh, celebrating his 50th birthday. Cut to the beach where we see Martin Riggs wake up with a lit cigarette in his mouth, and he has a Champions Coors Banquet breakfast. Murtaugh quickly learns that an old friend, Mike Hunsacker, tried to reach him recently, and coincidentally, the same surname is attached to our recent jumper. Across town, Riggs makes a risky play to bust a drug dealer before contemplating swallowing a bullet. Chances would have it, though the department knows Riggs either has a death wish or is suicidal, that the two men are paired together to work the Hunsacker case. On their first day, a call comes across the radio. There's another jumper nearby, and Riggs talks the man down in a unique fashion, prompting Murtaugh to explode on his reckless behavior and nearly push him to just end it already, removing his life from the possible casualty risk of just being near Riggs. We learn just how true this is as they pay a visit to the pimp associated with the woman who jumped, resulting in Riggs saving Murtaugh's life, but also eliminating their chances of learning anything from him through accidental elimination. Murtaugh opens up a pathway toward trusting this potential psycho after bringing him home for his wife's atrocious cooking. Before hitting the firing range the next day to witness Riggs' special forces training in action. Following the next lead, they identify Mercury switches and learn the identity of the man who just blew up their last lead's house, a tall, blonde man named Mr. Joshua, working for the general, leader of Shadow Company. Formed during the Vietnam War, but continuing to work together to make a lot of money importing heroin. 
Shadow Company begins to tie up loose ends, killing Mike Hunsaker and attempting to gun down Riggs. The two plan to get back at Shadow Company when Murtaugh's daughter, Rianne, gets abducted, leading to the three of them being captured and tortured before Riggs triggers a daring escape leading to the General's demise, Rianne's safety, and a brutal hand-to-hand showdown with Mr. Joshua. With the bad guys dispatched, Riggs pays tribute to his recently passed wife before joining the Murtaugh family for the worst turkey dinner on the planet. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so, uh, Coulter, uh, you brought this movie up as your uh, your choice for the podcast. So, um, how do you feel about this as a standing plot for your your intro to buddy cop movies? It's good. Like we kind of talked about earlier with the drugs coming into America, um, it's pretty standard boilerplate stuff, but it works. What's more essential in a buddy cop movie is the relationship, um, and it's it's almost harder. I, I, I was listening to you say that it, it's almost harder to write a good friendship than it is like a relationship in a film. So they, um, you know, and they start off, you know, really. And, and I think the way they introduce those two characters, Murtaugh and Riggs is really well, they're on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, where they're at in their lives. You've got the family man who's just turning 50. And then you've got the other guy who's, I think Riggs is supposed to be like 38 or somewhere in there, like late thirties. And you can tell he's kind of down and out. He, you know, he's, he's just not having really a good time in life. And so it's that stark contrast. Um, so it's, it's like the perfect introduction, I think, to those characters and kind of the story. You know, and then you have like, because it feel you know the 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 hooker throwing herself off of the off of the the building. You know, you're like, oh, whoa, what's this all about? Where's this going? You know, kind of type thing. And then you know, you get these characters, the cops. You know, the people that you're the that you're going to be following throughout the whole film. Yeah, but I, I I really love the introduction. Like, and you know, and the closest thing though um, is kind of my notes that like you get with Riggs that he's there's a soft heart somewhere in there, despite that he clearly kind of doesn't care about himself too much is he's got a dog in his little butt hut trailer that he, sure. you know, so, um, good old know, Sam, which is always, yeah, which is always he, a good sign, you know, that so it's like, Oh, they're a dog lover. They must be okay. You know? Yeah. That he is really loose. Cannon doesn't really put it that way. He's kind of loose everywhere with what's inside of his head. Yeah, and we're yeah. shown that early in this mm-hmm. movie. Yep. Uh, the, and there's, there's a lot of effort put into it and it actually does last throughout the movie as the drama is intensifying and the stakes are being raised. You're still getting little parts of whether it's comedy, whether it's uh, a, like a mistimed joke or it's something that, uh, is Mel Gibson just acting his buns off? Mm-hmm. There are some times where his demeanor, it, it, they don't really get closer to one another in personalities. They stay separate. Now, the rest of the movies will show them working together more. And the end of the movie shows, I mean, we don't, them taking the exact same move, but they, they really, I guess, our, our director here, keeps them separate and and has them play into those roles much more than we have them sharing a beer at the local you know cop tavern mm-hmm. their share a beer scene is really in the sort of murtaugh part of the story which is 
family man, I've got this boat and he doesn't know much about the boat. Uh, so it, it's, it was well-crafted the way these two guys are together. It's not just, we tell you that they're an odd couple. They really show us. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they 100% do like, and there's that thing of like, um, Riggs really pushes Murtaugh's buttons, like makes him kind of almost makes him unhinged, like in his own personality, you know, like he's pretty calm, cool, collected a little bit, but like, you know, and it's a different space when they're on the job and they're, they're working out in the field, you know, um, you know, doing their police work. But I mean, like when he gets that guy down from the building, Right. And he just screams like, get in here now. You know, like he's, you know, he's going almost father on him, father figure on him. Danny Glover rips that door off the hinges. Oh, nearly. almost. Yeah. It nearly comes off. And he like pushes and, that lady or that guy in the doorway. Like, get out of my way. <laughs> yeah. Just practically yeah. almost shoves rigs into the building. I, I think sometimes with the buddy cop dynamic, or if it's an existing friendship, there can be a, conversation like hey like hey let's get back behind cover and talk and what we get here is a screaming shouting match where like our lives are in danger and i gotta say danny glover's emotional range there is also incredible he is so animated and powerful with how he feels about yeah you're going to get me killed mm-hmm. and you know it, it's it, it is i think that happens a lot in any law enforcement or cops buddy cop style movie where one person's action get the other person killed i don't know if people have been taking the lesson from lethal weapon is that one of the guys should freak out (laughs) at the other one and it's so good to see that early 87 yeah yeah absolutely because he's because he's basically he's calling him out like that it, it was like almost outside unconventional like it was a step further that he like cuffs himself to the guy and granted they had you know something a, a, a safety net literally basically hmm. but he, he you know he's like i wanted you wanted him down i got him down what do you want from me and then like and just the way it ends though too it's like after riggs has gotten it all out he's done his shouting all that stuff and then just looks at him and his jaw kind of clicks almost like he's like almost like druggy style, but he's like, I'm hungry. I'm going to get something to eat. And then just exits the building. I think the only, really the only beef I have, and it's not even really a beef with this plot is I feel like you can almost chart a timeline of using ex military, bringing in drugs and or money for action movie. Yeah. Like while you guys were talking, I was just taking like mental notes on like you know uh john travolta in basic um i just recently uh, i've been watching bosch on prime video bosch season two uh, or three is you know you know whether it's afghanistan iraq vietnam in this case like it's it's kind of a a belabored point um we were uh dustin and i were talking about jack reacher before we started the episode um, the second Jack Reacher movie. Like it's, I didn't really think about it this way until we brought it up and started talking about it. But man, the, the, the ex soldiers importing drugs and or money is a very, very well used plot point. I'm not saying you need to change it. And this one happened so long ago that it's, you know, it's hard to, to 
to pin it on this being at fault in any way. Right. Uh, but I will say that I do notice that this is, this is a very well-worn pl- uh, plot trope. That's a great way of putting it. It's well-worn. And this is, this movie's rated R. And so if you're going to push to R, then I think you can probably push to a crime or a series of crime or a syndicate, whatever it is, that's doing a little more than drugs. And the fact is, drugs are so rampant, it's just too easy. But And well, I, I might make the point that the, the General and Shadow Company are scarier in name than I think in what we see. Oh, really? Uh, Not this, Mr. Joshua? I love Mr. Josh, right? But their their influence and their power is something that uh, could it left a little bit to be desired. Uh, aside from all, you kind of really need to know is that they are the bad guy, and you're, with with their if we're going to go into any illicit activity, there there might be a level of squeamishness for. If we're going to make this movie, do we really go with something truly awful like child trafficking or something? But uh, yeah, it, it is. It's it's a bit too tried and true. You really get into that Gary Busey uh, top teeth action though with that one scene, you know. I I love calling him Scary Busey because he looks particularly scary and <laughs> haggard these days. <laughs> Sorry, here's the thing, man. I I really like Gary Busey. Gary, I do Gary too. Busey. Gary Busey. I put him in the, the category with like actors like Tom Sizemore, where you're okay. like, man, I I know you're a hot mess, but I enjoy watching your hot mess on film. Yeah. So you know that's that I I respect it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the cast a little bit. I think that's a good segue into. So we talked about Gary Busey a little bit. Um, how do you feel that Mel and Danny really gelled together? Like, do you think? Like, I almost felt. I'm. I'm going to start on this one just since I kind of had the the kickoff for it. Um, I almost felt like the producers and directors picked the two of them, purposefully had them never meet. And then had them act these parts in the film because it really does start like, I don't know you, you don't know me, I don't like you, you don't like me. And then literally had them gel in a very organic way. I'm sure that's not how it happened, but that's how it felt to me watching. When when you look at the uh, surrounding the film, you, you do hear, especially from Danny Glover, that him and Mel became really good friends for the next several, several years. And it is believable. You want to give them credit for acting, but if they do strike up a real friendship, then that's all the better. It's the same as if you can see real chemistry. Chemistry among friendship is good too. Uh, the pace at to which they go from... See, I, I don't know. I, I think we are supposed to assume that I don't like you, you don't like me. Uh, we are given a good reason, which is the guy's dangerous and has a death wish. Not, not, it's not just like, Oh, he's a bad boy or he plays, he plays by his own rules. Right. Speaking of tropes, but this guy, we are given an extremely visceral, uh, near suicide scene. So we see that he means it. And that is maybe the greatest gift that we can be given to the whole franchise is that, uh, he's seen as a potential psycho that they're saying he, he might uh, <clears throat> he's actually trying to push for some type of leave slash pension 
but as far as both Mel and Danny, I, I don't know if I can say for sure that Mel's character is a like a particular style of character being like switching between these strange uh, ticks of his are, I, I think I've seen him do it a lot. We saw it in conspiracy theory. We saw it in the Patriot. Uh, I, I think that he has that ability. And then uh, Danny Glover, who I think beyond the lethal weapon movies ha- has a lot of muted performances. Uh, the idea that, Mel's character can drive him to the antics and can drive him to uh, being as animated as he is. It seems very believable that that chemistry is real. Yeah, I mean, and it's like really my favorite part of the whole thing. I mean, I can't remember. I think I think it's in Lethal Weapon 3 or something like Riggs goes, we're back. I'm bad. You're black. I'm whiter. He does this whole thing of like, uh, you're you're black. I'm mad. Yeah, yeah, I'm mad. And this whole this whole thing, but yeah. So uh, touching on that that suicide scene or near suicide attempt, uh, well, you barely call it an attempt, I guess. But yeah, like the him, intention is clearly the, there. The intention, yeah, we'll call it. Um, so that was actually a blank, and um, which is kind of a big deal for him to put a blank still and have that pistol like right in his mouth and right up against his forehead and under his chin, wherever he puts it, he puts it in a couple different spots on his, on his head. Um, there's still potential. Like there have been fatal uh, times where that's been fatal. Like a blank can still be fatal to an actor or to a person. I thought it was a hollow. Um, oh, you're saying that it was a blank that they use, but he's yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm sorry. He- I was like, it's a oh, hollow yeah. point, I thought. Yeah, no, no, yeah, because he's like, oh, yeah, it's a hollow point, you know, get the job done, you know? So right, right, sure, right, Yeah, he does that whole thing. Um, but, yeah, so he uses, I mean, so, like, and he, I think that was Mel Gibson's idea to do that because he wanted it to be, he wanted it to feel as real as humanly possible boy, um, did. to the audience. And it, and it totally did. And it's, like, and it is really depressing. But so anyway, um, we talked about, you know, because that's still part of like showing the diff- the dichotomy of the characters, where they're at in their lives. But yeah, the the growth, I think it's got really good pacing as their relationship develops, not just working wise. Because like when it's business time, they're all business. They they go into cop, straight up cop mode. Like I, we may not like each other, know each other that well, but I got your back and I know you got my back. Um, but then as the case develops and they're hot on the trail and they start to not just the natural trust of both being boys in blue, but like actually getting to know each other. Like that's why that dinner scene and stuff is so like, and that's a trope too. Like we're talking about tropes and like just to circle back around for a little bit, if I could to um, talking about like the whole drug running um, ex military. I mean, but uh, truly, I mean, even today, a lot of police officers are ex-military. They do. I mean, that's kind of the next best thing. But then also, it's kind of a mild trope I've seen in different movies and television shows like Justified. Um, there's an episode where they're talking about how guys get out of the service and they go end up doing wet work. They, they end up being contract killers and stuff like that. Um, so it's not too far-fetched from reality that, you know... But what's interesting too, though, is... Every character in this movie is ex-military, from the general to Gary Busey's character, Mr. Joshua. Both Mel Gibson's, you know, Riggs and Murtaugh were both in Vietnam. They were just on different ends. 
you know, basically. So it's, um, and I was, I've never really thought about it until I did this viewing where Neither they, never, had I. they never really bonded over that, that the, they'd both been in the military. They talk about it, but they don't view each other as like, oh, we're not just brothers in blue, we're brothers in arms, you know, type thing. So I thought that was kind I, of interesting. It's always been my view across various military to law enforcement movies that, especially Vietnam, no one ever talks about Vietnam. No. Like Vietnam vets are just like, oh, are you there? Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's unless, it. unless they want to, I guess. Unless right. they want yeah. to, you know, kind of type thing, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, some love to talk about it, I think, but, and, and, but a lot of, but a lot of them don't, I think. Riggs totally still has, and I don't think Riggs is supposed to be necessarily portrayed as alcoholic. Like he definitely drinks, but like he, that doesn't seem to be his issue. His issue is his dead wife. Sure. More so than anything, but he still has a you know obviously a modicum of because I mean you know depression does lead to alcoholism and all that he, stuff. So he he cool guy drinks. He he's the guy yeah. that wakes up in the morning and instead of having cocoa puffs, he has a Coors banquet. Like yeah. that in you know he doesn't you know he doesn't pour himself out a bowl of Cheerios and fill the you know the bowl up with vodka. So it's not, you know, it's not alcoholism drinking. It's I'm a cool guy that wakes up naked in his Winnebago on the beach in California. I've got a cool dog that comes when I whistle for him and I open up a beer and have breakfast. Like that's, it's a different, uh, it's a different amount of product placement. Like that might as well be a Pepsi in my mind. I think at one point I couldn't tell it was like not quite a pint glass, but I couldn't tell like later, I think it was maybe it might've been during the, like the, um, suicide, um, scene. right before he puts the gun in his mouth, I know yeah. what you're talking about. He's th- got a glass full of a brown liquid. Yeah, it almost looks like he's swilling whiskey because it didn't have any like foam or carbonation. What you could tell anyway, but he uh, strikes me as a guy that drink a flat beer though. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Because <laughs> maybe he's a little cigarette ash still in it. <laughs> yeah, because he's always drinking coors out of the can. So I don't think he's a guy who's like, well, sure. I'm going to get a can. I'm going to get a pint glass. I'm going to do this whole thing. So I bet that was whiskey. But I think a whiskey is like. He probably does that when he's really feeling low and really wants to get tuned. Yeah, well, I don't. Speaking of I, beers, I, it is it is great that we have an opportunity again. It's at Murtaugh's place. They're in the boat, and uh, you know his wife is just taking the trash out, and they're they're up there. You know how frequently you end up if you're worth a work peer outside of work, just how frequently you're going to talk about work, and they yeah. are, but. Just the sharing of a beer because inside they're having, you know, when they're having dinner, uh, it's, it's not like they've got other, um, it's not like they're cracking any open in there. This is like a special thing. It's like, Hey, come out to the garage. We'll have a couple. Yeah. It, it is a step in the learning to trust you, learning to tolerate you. I guess for Murtaugh, it's learning to tolerate you. Um, I don't think I think that's a one direction thing. I don't believe that we've got Riggs trying to tolerate Murtaugh. Uh, it, it, he's the only he, Riggs is the one that's kind of sees everybody against him, uh, and it, it's Murtaugh with his family life and his because everybody thinks career. he's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I think so I also that, think it's like, like resting a, on his shoulders. I think it's also like a status quo thing. I think usually when you're the the uh, like, let's say I'll use it as an introvert extrovert, you know, commentary where, you know, the introverts like, I wish this guy would shut up. And then the extroverts like, you need to talk more. So I, I don't think it's a, 
I think Glover definitely has his reservations about, you know, the, the mental stability of his, uh, of his partner, but Mel Gibson's more like, ah, oh, you just need to lighten up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, there, there's not a, a life threatening piece. It's not even like the, you know, in bad boys where you have Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and, and Will Smith's always on Martin Lawrence. Like you need to like, you need to get guns. You know, that's how you drive. That's how you shoot. Like, it's he always has this like you need to get a little bit more loose with your with your activity and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think all of these cop partner duos, you know, they all have like a you know uptight versus loose cannon, you know, that sort of dichotomy. And I think Mel Gibson's pretty uh, pretty understanding of of Murtaugh's situation. He's just like ah, you just need to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I the the beer scene I. Um, Dustin was kind of saying they were kind of like they're sort of still tolerating each other. I think that's where you start to see the seeds planted of they're warming up to each other. It's still very, yeah. very mild, but they're almost re-breaking bread. Like, yeah, he had him over for dinner, but offering him a beer and showing him the bow is kind of like a new way of breaking bread and like starting to sort of iron things out a little more, you know, because then he leaves and he says to him, he's like, He's like, you don't trust me, do you? Or Riggs says to Murtaugh, you don't trust me, do you? And Murtaugh says, I tell you what, you get through tomorrow without getting me killed or killing anybody else, I'll start to trust you. Sure. Simpson, yeah. Like, chill out, lighten up a little bit. You know, there's a moment on this watch, because, you know, you, you once you know a movie, you can sometimes stop paying attention. But, you know, the, the part of Riggs for being someone that uh, you know, risky with his kind of drug bust earlier. Yeah, and, I love that uh, scene actually, though. Great yeah, and good. and risky with the handcuffed myself to the jumper, and I, we're both going to jump. We do get the oh, you saved my life. Now they they lose out on the ability to question him, and they could that, like that could have gone better. We'll say, yeah. but and it happens in several movies like this, but I, I think this is the first watch through I really was trying to pay attention to the swing, pay attention to how the character pivots towards being ready to accept his new partner. And I tell you, saving someone's life is the pretty, the biggest step you can take. Yeah. Murtaugh gets a little more vulnerable, I think with Riggs in that regard. Definitely more trust. Like, okay, despite this guy, I think this guy's kind of unhinged. He's crazy. You know, because there's that whole scene when he chews him out after the jumper scene. And it was kind of nuts that, like, Murtaugh, like, straight up takes out his gun and hands it to him. He's like, here, go ahead. Do it. You know? And it's like, you're kind of like, Crazy is the right word. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that is that is really solidifying the point that you had made earlier which is uh, that he really drives him up a wall and Riggs th- that drives, is drives Murtaugh up a wall <laughs> yeah 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 uh to, to go so far as to say here take take it yeah. do it now get Please. out of my hair <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah I thought this was this was a fairly thin movie when it comes to to cast discussion like you've got Murtaugh's family playing that role um we we briefly touched on gary Busey, and i have a feeling that at least for me he's going to come up again in superlatives i actually thought the family was really well cast for murtaugh and the dialogue 
between uh, Murtaugh and his wife, Trish, was super good. Like that whole scene when they're on the boat and she's like, thanks for taking out the trash, Martin, or uh, or Sarge. And he's like, honey, I'm entertaining our guests. Their dialogue was really good. Like the whole banter, like even in the kitchen is like, what's for dinner? And he throws down the oven and he's like, how about a brown roast substance? And all this, you know, this whole thing. <laughs> like, and it's classic stuff that like you go over to Buddy's house that's married or even like even my parents have banter that's similar to that you know they're they're digging at each other you know they're they're kind of just they're having fun you know but it's that playful kind of teasing banter that kind of made that family feel lived in to me sure yeah and absolutely agree with you i I have to say that the moment that murtaugh gets home his focus you can tell that the character glover's portrayal but also his character is really scanning the house for like being a father Uh, and you see remnants of it you know there's a there's a sort of rubbing slash etching style picture of him on the wall right by the front door yep yep and there's the 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 kitchen seems very much like a family's kitchen you know his his wife uh, at the beginning of the movie drops an egg on the floor right after he makes a bad cooking joke Yep, and yeah. she says, "Look out for the yep. egg," and he goes, "Oh, didn't know I was supposed <laughs> to watch out for egg." Silly you know? me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean that's the thing; it's not a house; it's a home. They dress that set correctly. Um, Good point. Everything and and like the kids, the interaction with the kids, like they're all at the dinner table, and Riggs is really getting to peer into his home life, and they're almost acting as if Riggs isn't there. Like the only one that really um, is, I mean. It's palpable enamored with Riggs is Rianne. She's just staring, you know, she's a teenage girl and like he's this, you know, hey, shot new cop. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's that that was kinda that was kinda funny and 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 cute and and Riggs is kind of like he's not, you know, he's he's just kinda like he's noticing it, but he's not he's not uh obviously he's not gonna feed into it, but he's just kinda like you could I feel like you see on his face, he's like, what the hell is she looking at? What's her deal? You know? Yeah. You know, I had mentioned super troopers in super troopers. Those guys are funny and they are funny to one another characters where their quality is. They're funny. is hard to write. Yeah. Riggs says things that are humorous because he's a little off the wall, but I, I, it must be that after this movie, once we've got the dynamic that then you can introduce comedy as oh this is part of Riggs's wit yeah. not just part of circumstantial right. comedic situations mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. he likes so, to bring uh, levity to intense situations actually i think like well and and look i mean that's a defense mechanism like yeah, i i dude i typically like i use humor in inappropriate situations all the time because that's, all the time that's Same. what i do yep. so uh yeah 100 percent um, let's talk a little bit now about the film creation. We've got a, a producer here uh, in uh, 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 Joel Silver, who is he produces a litany of uh, pop culture uh, action movies. Um, and then we have a director here who also does several key name action movies. How are we feeling about the direction of this movie and uh, those backing it? I'll start with something that. Uh, Coulter had mentioned earlier, which is I could not come up with a single instance where I thought the pace was wrong. The pace, I think, is perfect. And that's really wonderful. Uh, you, you, Any tinkering you do with it, 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 it is unneeded. It, you, it might be preferential, but unneeded. Um, aside from that, uh, I think that with 
uh, small cast, right? We we've, we've got a family, but we don't have any other interesting cops. Uh, there, there's a cop doctor, but then there's also the the uh, kind of the chief that it kind of ignores that Riggs is suicidal. We have a task uh, for our director, which is focus on these two for the whole movie. And uh, the brief times that we are focused on something that is not the uh, our two principles, uh, the, that opening uh, jumper scene uh, is three and a half minutes. Now, some of it is credits, but three and a half minutes. And that's uh, the, he, he gets to show off a little bit of style there with the kind of rotating zoom in shot on her uh, naked torso. You know, looking at a movie like this is really kind of uh, reinforces to you how far we've come in lingerie in the last 40 years. <laughs> uh, and then and then you get the uh, jumping off of the balcony scene. You know, I, I used to equate that with. Forrest Gump, and I realized like, wow, this one's better, uh, because it's a vignette, and like this vignette is, it does set off a domino for the rest, but by itself is a great uh, little vignette. There's a, a couple others where the you have your introduction for the general and Mr. Joshua with the very scared guy, Juarez or Montez, uh, the who, drug who dealer that up. they're pulling in. Great job of yeah, saying yeah, yeah, you Joshua. aren't tough. Yeah. We need to tell you that you won't matter to this movie. So you are in here and you need to be scared of this situation. And because I don't think that guy came into this role saying, like, I'm going to play off being a, a crime guy who's intimidated. Uh, that had to come from our director. Um, you know, some of the things I, I might not say, Brian, you actually did it on video for us listeners. He actually held a lighter up to his arm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Could there have been a hundred other ways to show how tough Mr. Joshua is? I think so. But this is one that will stick with you. That's a success. So I think these are a lot of choices uh, that uh, for the monumental task of making a movie that focuses on just two people most of the time. And then when you're not on them, is it getting us enough info or is it getting us uh, something that's compelling to keep the story going? It's a, it's a win all the way around. Yeah. I mean the, the lighter scene. So what's, what's been fun about getting ready, prepping to do this podcast was thinking, I mean, I love this movie. I adore it. And thinking more critically about this movie. And I always liked that scene, but I do agree. I was like, eh, I mean, loyalty is a sense of like, look at my cronies. Like this is my right hand man. Look at how loyal he is. So you should be scared. Cause when I ask him to jump, he's going to say how high or, or ask how high. So I think that was kind of the point of that. But yeah, I mean, I did kind of think about that scene, which I still love that scene, but I kind of thought of it like, I don't know. I could have done, you know, like maybe like the, that drug dealer guy that they were doing that to comes in, he's got a hench or something. And they just you know, kill him or, you know, I don't know cut off his arm or something. I don't know, but like they just, I mean, but they wanted to just kind of, they were, they were just kind of mildly trying to establish to this guy, like, Hey, we're all business. We're not, we're not messing around here. You, you had better not back out. Nobody backs out kind of type thing. Like if you're going to do business with us, some stuff is funny and they're not meant to be funny. When uh, the general goes, you have to do business, yes? He like, yeah, you know, he's screaming at him. It's the way he says that, I don't know, he kind of cracks me up a little bit. Well, and the, the rest of that organization, whatever it is, is is not really shown to us. Its scope is described. But even even when he shows up to where that club is, which, first of all, I got to say, one of the detractors, the, mu yeah. the music playing, even with Eric Clapton coordinating, the music playing by the live bands in that club is bad throughout. 
that's too bad. But the the idea that he arrives at the club and he's not met by another bouncer or even a sexy evil uh receptionist he's met by mr joshua so mr joshua's pulling double duty as the secretary and right. as the heavy uh, like th- that is potentially a mistake here is that give some weight to the size of the organization if i think back to i think same year beverly hills cop we've got no not same year but uh if we think back to beverly hills cop you know they're they're heavy they're their bad guy is like up in a high rise and there's clearly power and there's right. dozens and dozens of security guards I think that it might just be, have been a decision where it's like, hey, the bad guys you're focusing on are like the power and the muscle. And that's kind of all you need to see. And, that you know, not not bad, but maybe could have been better. They seem to ride a little deeper towards the end, like in that desert scene. I don't know. But oh, it absolutely. still feels like it feels like kind of a skeleton crew as far as a, a bad guy outfit goes. Just to, just to play devil's advocate on this for a minute, I think that it actually gives credence to why they're so sewn up tight that they don't use the receptionist, that they don't have the sexy, you know, extra person. I think the, the less people you have in on it, the less likely you are to spring leaks and the fact that he only uses these trusted mercenaries that were already right. under his command in the real world speaks to the uh, the the cluster of the organization. I think the distraction of the band uh, in the background probably feeds the fact that even if this guy was wearing some sort of clever wire, he his compatriots wouldn't be able to necessarily understand what's being talked about. And then in terms of Mr. Joshua, you know, how much more hardcore can you be? You know, you sure you can, you can, um, uh, direct force toward a, a, an associate of the other guy to show how badass you are, but how much more BA is it to say, Hey, I can hurt one of my guys and I'm still that much more, much better than you. So mm-hmm. I feel like the machismo of, of, of that situation, and it was such a simple thing. It's a less is more. I'm going to burn this dude in front of you. You're going to smell his flesh searing with a Bic lighter. Imagine yeah. what I could do with more tools. Yeah. Yeah. And this do we just... see his tattoo in that burning arm burning scene? I don't know. So. I don't think so. Would have been better if we did. When you think, of, consider the foreshadowing. Oh yeah, with the kids and stuff. There, there's no question that it's cool. Like, but they're they're his mercs. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, they're all mercs. Yeah. Even the boss is mercs. It's not like he hired them as a team to back him up. Like, they all came over as a top-down mercenary organization that also deals drugs. I think that's an important distinction because anytime you hire people as not one of them then you leave yourself open to they're going to be more loyal to themselves than they ever will be to me or my dollar. Whereas the, the idea that yes, they are highly trained mercs and I was their commander. So it's a top down. We're all one in the same thing. I feel like makes it a more imposing adversary. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of it until now is with the general exploding in the overturned sedan, uh, and then we have Mr. Joshua essentially escaping to where do we I don't think we know. I, I don't I think the organization must be larger than just who we saw. 
based on the scope of the power described probably or is he just kind of getting out of dodge he's well, I, I don't think he's finding another person like to report to i think he's getting no, out of dodge but i mean they've got pipelines and everything i mean there there's interweavings but they i think they are it they're their own little little microcosm of an organization but they they're obviously moneyed up and they're kind of manned up enough but they also because they're mercs and they're ex-military they have really special skill sets that allow them to be menacing and they can muscle their way into deals and getting people on their side. But speaking, yep. speaking of the, the scene in the desert uh, with the supposed advantage, uh, I feel like I would have loved to see maybe just slightly different, even if it was another 30 seconds to a minute of rigs being able to pick off like the high priority dangers. 100%. Um, I was thinking that this time around too. I, I want to see Murtaugh I mean, open the door to his car and fire from behind cover more than I want to see him hold a grenade. And I, Hey, I like this movie a lot, I, but this is when you rewatch for the show, you start to think a little more critically. And and so like, I, I don't hate the scene, but I do think like these guys are all special forces or ex special forces uh, and at a level to where shadow company keeps them around. And if, if, if Mr. Joshua was burnable, they're all probably burnable right. uh, to the, the element of surprise was enough. I wish I could have seen more of it or like, once again, the scope of this, everybody, both the good guys and the bad guys, we've got situations where we're dealing with a small amount of actors culture. You brought it up. The, the biggest show of force is in the desert. They all get taken down pretty quick. And then you've got the helicopter chasing down the, the car, which can only kind of, you have to make that chase work. Uh, and they do with her getting out, um, leading us to our culminating scenes uh, with uh, with them all kind of captured, which uh, once again, like you got to think great job with either whether you want to call it our director or our writers who put it in a situation that a lot of times when you're watching a movie or where you're watching a TV show and everyone's captured. Like, hey, there's not like a third person waiting outside to save the day. There's not the hacker in the truck. There's not the grease man in the ducts. It's just those two. Yeah. And oh, so tech guy in the truck, the tech guy in the truck. We don't have him. Right. We don't have somebody cutting the lights out. What we have is hinting at Riggs being Ultimo badass. And then we get to see it. Uh, with withstanding Endo's torture and feigning that he's that he's done uh, before summoning the energy to to take him out. Oh, it shows uh, him truly yeah. unhinged and like in his most badass kind of moment, really. And that is, uh, you have to say, like uh, it's a credit to how the movie was put together because uh, and uh, getting to a point where where your principles are all caught with thirty five minutes left a lesser director might have painted himself into a corner Sure, is all, all I'm saying. Yeah. And here, here we had a, a wonderful way that they escaped. I do like a lot of the, um, the helicopter shot, like that desert scene is kind of like, I, cause I was really trying to think and it was kind of hard to pick, but that is like, aside from kind of the opening of the movie over the head, you're seeing the car drive. And I also love for whatever reason, it's kind of funny. Like, cause I think they'd busted up their cruiser or like his car, I, I think Murtaugh's car that they that they travel around in before that, and they're taking the old uh, uh, station wagon out to the desert to go <laughs> fetch his yeah. daughter. It's this it's this raggedy, you know, like family car. That was kind of like kind of funny. 
it also ends up being a, a common uh, thread of yeah. the movies of, of yep. Riggs messing up Murtaugh's car. How are we feeling about the set designs, the location? It takes place in Los Angeles. It takes place during Christmas, which I like that they, I mean, the biggest mention they make of Christmas is like, yeah, you see the Christmas tree in the living room at Murtaugh's house. Um, there's, there's little nods to the fact that it takes place during December. Um, yeah, there's, there's somebody in the crowd looking up at the jumper wearing a Santa Claus. Outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And then like in the precinct, um, there's that, um, that oh, lady cop going, I, all right, one, two, three. And then one guy starts and she hits with, him with, with the, the nightstick. Yeah. 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 Um, there's it's that, so bad. but like it's Los Angeles. So it's really sight, uh, bright and sunny. And then as the movie, you know, goes forward, it more scenes take place at night and stuff. So like, it's kind of gives that contrast of like, Oh man, stuff's about to kick off and pop off, you know, plot wise and like escalate basically. Yeah, I alluded to it earlier. I had something I wanted to say about wardrobe and makeup. It actually has nothing to do with wardrobe or makeup. It's about props. This is the decade of the MP5 and Beretta. Yep. So the 1980s, I mean, it's like this is these are the two guns that are most highly featured in all cop military-esque film uh we have not yet progressed to the fugitive and u.s marshals and the internet uh, introduction of the glock yep. so um yeah it's definitely one of those things where you know you got your die hard yep. you got your lethal weapon and uh yeah you, you'll see the uh the usual suspect product placement of uh, certain firearms well and speaking of the beretta um that one that um uh, Riggs uses actually gets used by uh in die hard that's the oh, one yeah. that John McClane uses. And then it, it finally it, are got you retired. saying the actual prop, prop yeah, was? The prop. Just, yeah, the oh, prop. That's cool. Yeah, the prop. I didn't realize it was the same, same prop. Use right. the same prop. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool. And obviously, isn't it meant to be Riggs's service pistol that he uses? Because it's got that little um, – it's got like a medallion like emblem on the, on the, um, the handle of the gun. Yeah, if you I see, think it's I like it's kind of exposed. It's kind of exposed at one point at different intervals in his hand. Also, really love like just so kind of circling back just for a little bit um, the dichotomy and, and contrast of uh, Riggs and uh, Murtaugh. Murtaugh obviously very buttoned down, wears a suit. I love that Riggs wears the jeans and cowboy boots and like you know like a flannel shirt and stuff, and sometimes wears a ball cap. Doesn't use a holster. Always oh, sticks it in the front or the back of his pants, you know, and, and, and Murtaugh's very like conventional and has the holster and everything like that. Oh yeah. Do you think that's a, that that's a probably because he he's used to being like narco undercover, you know, he's never had to, to be the detective notifying next of Ken and whatnot, where they want you looking to, you know, be the face of the department. You know, he's coming off of, you know, long-term undercover, narcotics yeah rigs yeah, yeah. I, I would say so yeah it probably speaks to how he's used to operating within that um section of of the police force so yeah i mean i mean think of it like in that that tree scene which we kind of briefly touched on that's such a great scene of like you know he's like how much for all of it you know <laughs> and like you know, <laughs> yeah. that whole thing like i mean that's like a cool funny 000. action scene you idiot yeah he's Absolutely. like he goes yeah, it's super good. So yeah, and and just I don't know, like I I mean, but even narco cops, I think 
I mean, I don't know a ton about them, but I'm sure, you know, it, it, I, I'm sure it depends on what they're doing. I also like to think that we know that uh, that Riggs is kind of, you know, sleeps in the buff and like just puts on whatever. Yeah. Because uh, that's what makes him comfortable. This film series, but like this, this movie does a great job of making you think, at least it made me think that Murtaugh is comfortable wearing the suit tie cardigan and like the tie all the way up. Oh, yeah. Whereas he wears like, a sweater a in Los Angeles <laughs> over his yeah, shirt. I, I, I feel like I've noticed it before, but I really kind of noticed it again. Like watching, I was like, good God. I mean, I know it's December in California, but good God, man. Yeah. And it's there, like tweed a- probably that he's wearing like his, his coat, his jacket, you know, his suit jacket. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have to wear a suit, but I think they've written it to where Murtaugh is comfortable in an uncomfortable suit. Like yeah. that, you, you, he, he is the, uh, the that that part of the odd couple like, could be oh, a pride, like be a pride thing too like uh, uh or not pride so much as um integrity he wants to yeah. be, feel more integral in his role as a police officer good point you know i, I want to uh, just circle back around to what i was saying about the narco piece you know in everything i've ever watched where it's you know homicide which is what he's working here um you know they they go to a scene they detect things they go and pursue, they lean on people. Everything is very, I am a cop for the most part. Yeah. I think in the drug world, it's the opposite. Like everything you can do to not look and act and smell like a cop, you've got to do. So I, I blend think I, in. Yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm leaning pretty heavily on Riggs is a, is a product of his environment. Now I think they use that in, in some of the, the ageism that happens in this movie, they lean into it a little heavier just to give that the, the, the differences between, you know, the aged um, Danny Glover and the young hotshot Mel Gibson. So they probably yeah. utilize that a lot, but yeah, in most of the things that I watch and I watch a fair amount of detective stuff, I think it's more about what, what your job entails and, and who's seeing you and what you're doing than it is about um, you know him being unwilling to wear a suit or anything like that or what makes it comfortable. Yeah, it's an age thing because he's pushing 50, but truly um, I think Mel Gibson was in his early to mid-30s maybe. He's supposed to be 38. Um, mm. Danny Glover was 41. Danny Glover was 41, but he was supposed to be fit. I mean, he he totally passed for 50, I guess, which I don't know if that's like good or bad, you know, but like, right. yeah. you know, but I mean, I think it was how he totally carried himself and, and sure. like his, the language that he uses and how he speaks and stuff, you know, and, fr- and even from the gun he uses, which I'll, I'll kind of touch on that when we get to the superlatives and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's just, that was another cool element of like odd couple type stuff. Sure. Uh, did either of you want to add anything to what we've already discussed in terms of uh, the soundtrack and score? Love the bluesy saxophone type stuff, you know, all the, all the, and they kept that as a constant kind of theme with the music throughout all the movies, which I loved. It's a constant thing. I know it's become, it, it has pervaded past just the movies. Like it's a well-known thing. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I do think of, if any of you uh, TV watchers have seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, they make a fan-made Lethal Weapon 5 movie yeah. where the main characters in that show play Riggs and Murtaugh. And the 
just the, that recognizable saxophone i won't think of that with any other like it's totally a lethal weapon thing yeah because i recognized it so much because i've attributed to it so much uh in this one there are times when i feel like oh here it is again could there have been a better choice perhaps but there is no other choice because this is a lethal weapon a lethal weapon you use a saxophone <laughs> Well, they didn't lean into like the '80s tropes of like lots of synth and stuff, you know, like um, Beverly Hills Cop. Which is nice. There's no, very little, uh, which like I love actual. Synth. Yeah, I love all that. I love that stuff of the '80s, but yeah, for this, it just it definitely, I think, for the um, kind of the theme and and tone tone more in particular of the movie that the saxophone and those bluesy tones and stuff was definitely. Well, it's a very it's it's indicative of a very crime noir feel. Um, yeah, that they've used over the years in terms of like you know classic Los Angeles, classic Hollywood, that sort of thing. Do you ever know what bureau they're out of? I they just are. I always know that they're. I mean, I mean, obviously they're in Los Angeles, but yeah, no, they never really talk about like what their precinct or whatever is. Okay. They're just, det- they're homicide just, detectives at the sure. very least, obviously. Well, like the, the Hollywood division is, is very popularized by stuff like black Dahlia and the things that mm-hmm. happen with the, the, uh, um, not publishing houses, the, the, uh, film well, studios. And that's, well, sort there's of even thing, a so. movie in name. That's like, what is it? Hollywood it's Hollywood like, homicide. Hom- homicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I was right. on the right track, but I feel but like, like there's another one too, but, but like Maine LA has their primary and it's just called RHD, which is robbery homicide division. So I was just kind of oh. curious if they were like, like that, or if they were in one of the separate sub departments that, that, you know, feature around Los Angeles. Uh, it's, it's another thing that I think the movie has going for it, which is, do we want to tack on time to explore the dynamics of their, organizational structure maybe in two three and four sure but here we need the time for this relationship and it's welcome Uh, i am pretty harsh when movies spend too much time on the uh the rigmarole of what sort of day in day out life is and the organizational structure of police organizations in movies It's not that I think that audiences are smart enough. We don't need to be told anymore. It's just that sometimes the people that want to focus on that focus on it too much. So I thought it was a breath of fresh air to not have that as part of this dynamic at all. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, really, each scene, each escalation within the case that they're tracking elevates their relationship and their trust and everything. And that's kind of and that's kind of what you're sort of focused on. But is, is their relationship. But the stuff that happens in between that is sort of just taking that relationship to its next level, basically it's the next plateau. Well, you guys ready to give out some superlatives? Let's do it. Getting too old. for. Th- I mean, yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, MVP Dustin, Danny Glover. And I don't know if we get that chance to give him the MVP when he, I, I will say I'm more, fam- I, I had no idea how many of his roles I knew and have seen. I mean, it is his best role, but also for the his range. We have to give kudos to Mel Gibson for his portrayal of a character that's off his rocker. But uh, Murtaugh, as a normal man, family man, that gets driven to the antics that he is, uh, wonderful to see on screen. So Danny Glover for me. Uh, Coulter, what's your MVP? 
I think it's got to be Mel Gibson. His comedic timing and the way he plays crazy to me, I just kind of I I I just love it. I'll open this up just in case anybody else has it, but I went with MVP and supporting as Gibson and Glover. I feel like this movie is completely led by a partnership. So uh, feel free if, if anybody else came to that conclusion, I, f- I feel like that's, that's what makes the film. So I will, I will do a rare coupling. Uh, sure. I, I would agree. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, and I didn't know what I could get away with. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brian and I are here, so we're going to throw most of the rules out. Yeah, all right. <laughs> awesome. I yeah, love it. We're, I love we're it probably I'm, the I'm loosest. Bad. Well, when it comes to a movie you love, it's hard to make some of those decisions, like truly. And this is definitely one of them. Like, I mean, even when we're going to get into like things you would change and stuff like that, like, I mean, I had to really sit on some of that stuff. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're with these two characters, so I mean, and, and their dynamic is just, I mean, it, it, it's fun to watch. I'm going to go a little out of order here because I am very curious on what everyone's going to say for this. Uh, change one thing, Coulter. Oh, change one thing. So this is the one that was tough for me, but I would have, but then I finally came to it. So I would have liked to have seen Murtaugh actually kill the general, like Mm. physically get his paws on him and, and choke him or shoot him or do, you know, whatever to him. Sure. Dustin change one. I already mentioned, I love the pace of this movie. I could have done with Murtaugh and Riggs being opposite odd couple cops for a little bit longer. Uh, and as part of that, I think I would have preferred to have the Riggs death wish suicide information manifest to us as the audience in something that we observe through actions mm-hmm. rather than being told to us by the police doctor. If it needs to come from the police doctor, maybe this is something that Murtaugh picks up later, like a file that shows that like there's a big red rubber stamps, like suicidal, like recommend for dismissal, something like that instead of us being led there by the doctor. But uh, of there are many movies where we are asked to change one thing. And most of the time I pick something that's like, Oh, this has to be changed. I I probably wouldn't uh, like push for this, this hard, but I think it would improve. I think it would improve this one. Uh, so for me, um, I, I know part of the driving force of this, of this film is ageism. And I kind of touched on it earlier with, you know, young guy, older gentleman, I'm too old for this. Like it is a thing that they touch upon uh, almost like a slinky going down the stairs throughout this entire film. But when there are opportunities for it to not be so blatant, I feel like they didn't take them. So for instance, uh, when you have the torture scene at the end and Glover is being beaten while being questioned by the general, the old guy and the old guy. Meanwhile, Mel Gibson's being tortured by the, the dude with the electro and then Gary Busey, and, uh, the young guy. And that's how they end up being matched up for the kill. That's how, the, you know, that's the end fight scene. And I was just like, all right, that's just a, maybe a bit too on the nose. Like you don't have to, you know, it, it's like if it was a male female partner and the female and the bad female fight it out and the bad male and the bad ma- male fight it out. It's like, I get why you do it, but maybe just a, a bit too much harping on that one thing. Maybe you don't have to press the button every opportunity you get. Well, it's very specific um, types of torture that they chose for the, the two, right? Sure. Where 
Glover's just getting, you know, they're just basically laying the mitts to him. And then uh, Riggs is basically chained up and he's getting electroshock, you know, and and whatever. So it's kind of, you know, but I guess they looked at it as like, maybe it'd be because of given Riggs and his training and they kind of know a little bit about him, I think at that point. So they wanted to give him something a little bit more um, intense, so to speak. Yeah. You know, speaking of intensity, uh, part of the thing with Murtaugh is that they have his daughter and they bring the daughter into the room. Oh, totally. And they could have chosen to go way more hardcore with this. I believe the note that he finds in his house says your daughter looks real pretty naked. This is that could have gone way further. Smart decision not to. Right. Sure. I, I typically call out whenever being a little more reserved was the right choice. And I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you can take stuff too far. Like, cause even, you know, and, and I'm, it's not like I'm super squeamish as like a movie goer or anything like that. But sometimes even I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> like that was mm-hmm. a little, like you could have done, like, we get it. You know, have, have you yeah. guys ever seen the Matt Damon interview uh, where he's talking about, um, Jack Nicholson's uh, additions to his character in yep. uh, The Departed. I knew that's like, what and you were going you, with. And if you keep the camera rolling, he yep. <laughs> just keeps adding to it. I, Dustin, if you haven't seen this, it's it's amazing. And I it, love even, that story. Even Damon's kind of portrayal of it. He's not really doing an impression per se, but you can kind of tell that he's he's trying to emulate the Jack Nicholson yeah. vibe a little bit as he's telling it. It's a great story. I just rewatched that actually not so long ago on Instagram because it, it'll pop up in my suggested. Sure. And I, I, I sure. love it. Yeah. But, but it's, but I mean, it's, it's in the movie. I mean, not to that quite right, extent, to the degree much, he suggests, but it's, pretty, but it's pretty much all there. Like, you know, the whole, they they felt funny. You know, that whole thing is like, so good. Jesus, like, you, you know, Francis, you really <laughs> got to see somebody, you know, that right, whole thing is so right. good. And that scene is so awesome. And it's it like is. an ugly it's thing. Scene. And Damon points out things that Jack Nicholson's talking about when he's telling the story of like stuff that you didn't really think about of the whole, because he says they fell funny. You can tell that his character has done this before he's killed a lot of people. And so people fall a certain way when they get shot, when they're executed. And he's just pointing out this one little weird thing Uh, that happened in this. Yeah. In this instance. So uh, let's go with the hidden gem, Dustin. Both of these guys are so different from one another. And that's the point, right? But they both drink Coors Banquet beer. <laughs> Just to show you how we're all not so different from Oddly one another, enough, are we? Yeah, it was a little bit, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what movie it was where they had the line, uh, cops don't drive Cadillacs and they don't vote Democrat. And when you bring that up where they were both drinking Coors Banquet, I just, I just wonder what unwritten rules if that, you know, there are for police departments where it's like, Oh, we all drink mm. this. We, we all don't do this and we all don't do this. Well, I'm sure you've got a lot of cops not drinking Bud Light right now. Well, yeah. sure. well I wonder uh, if it was like a, a product of its time where maybe Coors was like kind of the it beer, even like I was kind of surprised for a place like Los Angeles. I don't know if they'd be like drinking Stella Artois or something. I don't know. Like not, hmm. to, not to try and dog on folks from, uh, you know, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've seen 
little statistic things like online of like beers that are popular within certain regions of the United States or certain states, like state by state sure. of like stuff that they drink. Absolutely. Um, you know who loves PBR more than boys in the South? Boys in Montana, probably. <laughs> they got they got that Montucky uh, cold cold snack. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Japanese. The Japanese love PBR. Do they really? Really? Yeah. It's it's one of those like fascinations with something across the world. Uh, it's it's it's, it's it's Rainier country in my neck of the woods. I love a Rainier. I, I'm, yeah, I'm two and a half years one. sober, but I love a Rainier. I just had a Rainier uh, last night, and I haven't had one in ages. And that was my uh, – we refer to it around here as piss beer because it's just – it flows like water. I mean, and you just have to go to the yeah. bathroom pretty much the whole time you drink, you know. just goes right through you. But yeah, I hadn't had a Rainier in a long time. And actually, it's kind of funny. Like, did they, Dustin, when you drank it, like, did you drink it during the time? They, I don't know if they did it last year, but around Christmas time, they have the Jubilee cans. They're like a specific Christmas can. That they do no, I remember the big stylized R. I yeah. had it, uh, I had it yep. in, uh, in Cleelum. I had it up in Washington. Uh, I, I went to a little, uh, like, little Redbird Cafe for brunch. And I did not want whatever, like, mimosas or something they were serving. I'm like, I'll have a Rainier. Yes. I think I had three in an hour. Or they call it sometimes, like, my friends from Washington, they call it Ranier. Ranier? Yeah. Ranier. Oh, that's great. I'll have a Ranier. See, down here, we've got Lone Star is our cheap beer. Oh, sure. Uh, But me and all my friends call them Lonesters. Lonesters. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, beer's not really cheap anymore. Sure. It doesn't even matter if right. doesn't even matter if it is the cheaper end. So, but yeah. Well, we're we're so gonna. Yeah, that my in. hidden gem is uh, is the is the that they both drink cores. Yes. Okay. Culture hidden gem, bud. Uh, I don't know if it's hidden so much, but um, if you're really paying attention, Riggs's crazy eyes, like when it closes in oh, on yeah. his face, or like you know when he's getting ready to like he's gonna he's basically gonna essentially Hulk out or Riggs out. On bad guys, right. like his eyes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Rigs yeah. out. Yeah. So, like, I, I always kind of love. I was really kind of noticing that more. Um, this this watch because he just like I uh, especially like, and it's it's across almost the entire movie too. Like when he's uh, so like I think the best one, the best example of it is when uh, Murtaugh hands him his gun. He's like, "Go ahead, put the barrel in your mouth and all this stuff." And the hammer's just clicking back, and it's about ready to go, you know. And he's like, "Oh my god!" And he takes it from him, you know. But but it closes in on Riggs's eyes, and like he's like really thinking about it. He's really ready to like blow his head off in that lobby. Right. Uh, I went with Sam the dog. I felt like there oh. just needed to be a little, little, little bit of justice for Sam the dog in this movie. I yeah. love Sam. Sam. Sam reprises his role of Sam in uh, in number Every two single as movie. well. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, man, Sam the dog. Uh, I'm going to dig the knife a little bit deeper here. We're going to recast one person. And uh, Dustin, who are you recasting? The general. Mitchell Ryan doesn't do it for me, uh, I'm sorry to say. Uh, give me, and I know the timing doesn't work out quite right, but give me Ed Harris, Ooh. like in The Rock. Oh, okay. Or my other option would be Ron Perlman. Now, mm. both of these guys, strangely enough, both Ed Harris and Raul Perlman were born in 1950, so they would have been 35 or 36 at the time of filming. That's not old enough for the type of character the general was written to be, but just have him be some other special forces or whatever. That that whole, whatever the military is or was or was supposed to be, is, like we've said, it's, it's so boilerplate now anyway, like it doesn't really matter if this guy was like in command or not. 
So uh, I, I think I think that was a space that there could have been more more star power. Age wise, it could have been forgiven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I will say that that one of the things that always clicks into my head when you get into these '80s crime films is you always have like the guy who plays the the chief. It's like that's additional, you know, B actor chief guy yeah yeah. same thing with the general additional generic chief person you know what would happen a decade later with the the brian coxes of the world where it's like you know he's the chief and super troopers it's like (laughs) you know he they they fit that part and uh there's actually a um patton oswald stand-up where he run he meets I don't remember if it was Brian Cox or Brian Dennehy. It was Brian Dennehy. He meets Dennehy and he's talking about being at this, this premiere. I think it was for like Batman begins or something. And he's at the, uh, the, the the big spread they've got. And he's just stuffing his face. And (laughs) Dennehy, Dennehy walks by and he goes, character actors who cares if we're fat and just keeps walking. And I was just like, I was like, exactly. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, So anyway, that's just whenever I see like that guy, I think of that quote that Patton brings up about about Brian Dennehy. So yeah, Dennehy's in uh, first in First Blood, right? Yes, he's the 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 chief, the police chief in Rambo First Blood. Yeah, so Coulter recap. Dustin totally almost thought of Ed Harris for the general because mine is general as well. Yeah, but then I did think about age a little bit, but then I totally botched that with my pick. I I thought of. Because it was really hard. Because I actually liked the cast. I thought the guy they cast as the general, um, what was his name again? Um, Mitchell, Mitchell Ryan. Right, Mitchell Ryan. He 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 totally worked for me. But I mean, it really doesn't have a lot of screen time. I mean, no. he's kind of running the show, but it's fairly he, inconsequential. He's very he's far less menacing than Scary Busey, you know. Right. So <laughs> like, so I went with Kiefer Sutherland as the general. Mm. I thought he could kind of work because he can be more of a like he has that 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 raspy voice and he can look right. super scary and stuff. So it would have been kind of a nice pairing with him and and Gary Busey, even though Gary Busey would have been older. I I, I think it's fair to say right now, Kiefer Sutherland plugging him in back then. I think that's a fair yeah. fair thing to say. I don't well, have remember, any problem. Remember how he mess with age all the time. He would have been yeah. 20. Well, you know, the, the, anyway. when I think of him as a bad guy, I think of him as just the voice in Phone Booth. Phone Booth. Phone Booth. We oh, got to yeah, do Phone, phone booth. booth. was good. Yeah. Um, but also, like, he does the voice of uh, Punish Snake and, and Metal Gear Solid Five. So he yeah. plays like a general. He plays Big Boss. And so there's that whole, like, aspect. Granted, he's actually 50 you know, he's in his fifties when he did that role, which is what they were kind of looking for. But, um, but yeah, I thought like, cause he can look scary and menacing and he's got that like kind of unique, distinct the, the, voice. The voice. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm, I'm recasting Lynn McCleary. Lynn McCleary plays the jumper. In this. <laughs> oh, okay. And in, instead of having him, I think this is the perfect spot for a notable cameo. Okay. And I wish the jumper had been Dennis Miller. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I, I think if Dennis Miller had been just, he was up there, Riggs goes out, Dennis Miller does a very Dennis Miller rant 
And then What's they up, jump. Scooby? I'm going to jump yeah, off so, the building here. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I, I just think that that would have been the perfect. Yeah. Offers me a cigarette, babe. Yeah. yeah. Can I get I a just think that would be the perfect spot. <laughs> perfect spot for a notable cameo. Yeah. Um, although I will really say the g- um, All right. So next up is going to be best shot. We'll shoot to culture this time. Uh, that desert scene, you know, I kind of mentioned it way back. I, I, that scene's pretty cool. Like, you know, and everything's kind of happened at night and they go like, I think they're like supposedly the time it takes place is supposed to be like the wee hours of the morning with sunrise and stuff. But yeah, that, that, that shot's really cool. Like with the helicopters and everything and the dust blown around and it's that standoff. Illustrates the diversity of LA County. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dustin, uh, what do you got? Best shot. There's, there's many to choose from uh, and you've seen a movie enough times. Uh, I, I want to give credit to that opening jumper shot of the the woman uh, Amanda uh, j- jumping off because it's it's shot well and you see you see a lot of jumper scenes and that one's so so good. But there's also something really artistic about the the guy that falls dead into the pool with the plastic on it. Mm-hmm. It's something you just never see, and and I I thought it was they really focus on their faces like trying to get through the plastic. It it becomes an obstacle to them saving him. But I, I just thought like that is it's also the the first part of the movie where they are really in danger from firearms. And I'm like, this is kind of a cool I don't know. It just it stuck with me this time. I probably sure. would choose a different best shot every time I see it. Yeah, I would agree. It was hard for me to pick uh, best shot. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, remember or are familiar with the 1991 show called Silk Stockings. Uh, it was a late night I want to say USA USA yep. show and it had a very, you know, it was basically uh, revolved around sexy crimes. And th- I just felt like the entire intro to this movie reminded me so heavy of that show. So yeah. it's really that, that silk stockings high dive off the building you guys know how much of a crime noir fan I am. I just felt like all of that really just fed into that. Uh, let's uh, go with did you. Like, did you like La Femme Nikita? Oh, dude, loved it. In fact, we'll have to talk about it later. Female spy shows sign me up 100% of the time. Uh, best scene, culture. Gosh, I I really love when uh, Riggs is introduced to Murtaugh and he like flips. He's like, done. And they're looking around and he flips him and then it does that nice thing and he does this little thing with his hat. Like he kind of cocks right. back his or secures his ball cap a little more. Sure. He's got the gun on him. I always kind of love that. It was, it was super cool. Absolutely. Uh, best scene, Dustin. It's all a credit to Glover's acting when he's screaming at Murtaugh after he jumps off the building with the other jumper. Oh, I love Starts that. with him nearly ripping that door off. Um, a late, late career Glover is milk toast. Uh, yes. I take his role in uh, Wahlberg's shooter and yes. it's, it's just flat. And so this is the Danny Glover that like needs to be remembered in film history. And that, yeah. that, that power is awesome. The screaming is so good in that. <laughs> and his, he's got long arms and he's, oh, yeah. he's still really fit. And so like he, he looks as if like uh, if there's anybody capable of like beating Riggs in a slobber knocker, it might be a pissed off uh, Murtaugh. Well, he's almost getting screamed at like, like, Murtaugh is a drunk little league dad or a football coach or something. And they just totally bought this was America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so for me on this, I, I love the shooting range scene. Oh yeah. I just, the, the, the just illustrating, I, you know, they, they go from this piece where it's like, okay, I don't want to work with you. And, 
and I'm screwed and that's why I'm here and yada, yada, yada to a camaraderie based, like, let's see who's a better shot kind of thing. And I felt like it was, it's really the only scene you get of a, you know, competitive nature between the two of them, which is part of that, that partner building aspect. So I just really appreciated that, that, uh, the shooting range scene. They're also working out the case, which is cool. Right. Right. They're talking it through. All right. Let's, uh, let's do best quote, uh, Dustin. Uh, Coulter mentioned it. Uh, tell you what, you make it through tomorrow without killing anybody, especially me or yourself. Then I'll start trusting you. Roger that. And uh, Coulter. Six shooter, huh? A lot of old timers carry those. Right. <laughs> They're right. talking about what, what they got. That's a serious piece of hardware you're carrying there. But just the fact that he says six shooter, he, it, but it's totally that ages thing. It's going back to that ages thing, which I, I waited till now to kind of touch on the point of that. It's just another, another layer to that. Uh, it is kind of funny that he says six shooter and not like revolver, like a service revolver. He right. says six shooter as if like, oh, you're so old. This is Western. Yeah. It's called a right. six shooter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I cool. did. I did another have a backup dig. best quote since you had mentioned mine before, yeah. which is back and forth. Uh, Murtaugh says, God hates me. That's what it is. And Riggs says, <laughs> hate, hate him, him back. back. Yeah. Works, Works for, me. for me. Oh, I know. I love that line. I, th- I, 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 I love that one. I was, when I was watching it the other night, I had to, I had to settle in and really like, I, I, I it's the, the, it's the crown quote of the movie. And I'm just dying to find out what Dustin uses to cover this up, but I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that, uh, that about wraps it up. Let's give this, uh, this movie a rating. It's going to be on a five star scale. You can use decimal places, although I prefer not to. Uh, Dustin, on a five-star scale, what you got, bro? I'm giving this a, a generous score of 4.5 stars. Uh, I think the movie is archetypical in the best way. It's a paragon of the buddy cop movie. Uh, there are a few things that we have talked about, mainly the reliance on boilerplate of the times stuff. Um, having two jump-by-suicide scenes in one movie is odd. Uh, there's so many things to choose from that uh, t- to have repetition there. Uh, and I, I think we've already done a good enough job mentioning the things that we kind of noticed this time. Uh, otherwise, uh, as just a like a, a pure example of what this movie of what this genre should be, I think it, it's earned all four point five. Uh, Coulter rating. <laughs> Sorry, but five out of five. I mean, it's for me, it's nostalgia and my love of the buddy cop genre. Um, again, I've lived with this um, movie and the others in its franchise for decades now. So it's, sure. like it's hard for me not to give it all the love. I mean, I basically, I tried not to ruin it at the beginning, but yeah, I mean, that's why one of the reasons, I mean, all the movies that I picked were ones I would have gushed over, obviously. Well, I gave this a, a, a not to be disrespectful four stars. Um, I think this is as good as you can get in most of this action genre. I don't have like, I would, I think I would give Die Hard probably the same rating. I'm trying to remember if we had done Die Hard and what rating I gave it, but um, I, you know, I try to be, I, I think this is as good as anything in this genre really gets, I guess is my, my point. I don't think I hold anything up over this in terms of agree. that action duo comedy, you know, interlaced that sort of piece. So yeah, four stars. Um, Dustin, would you like to help me pick out a movie for next time? 
That's right. Now we go from crime in the 80s to love in the 80s. I got three options for you, Brian. Let's start with option number one, Splash from 1984. A young man is reunited with a mermaid who saved him from drowning as a boy. He falls in love with her, not knowing who or what she is. Option number two, Hannah and her sisters from 1986. Between two Thanksgivings two years apart, Hannah's husband falls in love with her sister Lee, while her hypochondriac ex-husband rekindles his relationship with her sister Holly. Or option number three, Mystic Pizza from 1988. Three teenage girls come of age while working at a pizza parlor in the Connecticut town of Mystic. What's it going to be? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Mystic Pizza on this one. All right. Well, listen, thanks again, Coulter, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. We hope to have yeah, you on again. So much. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to hopefully coming back and we'll do it again. Uh, thank you to all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us because we want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's mostly audio only. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing for this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable forward slash. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go toward making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin? I could have killed them all. I could have killed you. In town, you're the law. Out here, it's me. Don't push it. Don't push it or I'll give you a war you wouldn't believe. Let it go. Let it go.